criminal behaviorology, to assist the criminal and civil justice systems, to improve our society, a podcast like no other. Here is your host, Timothy Joseph. Hello, hello. I have not spoken to you in a while. I don't think we've had a podcast since the beginning of the year. This is 2023. Been very busy. I'm uh, sorry to say, but it's been important work and I hope to uh, update you a little bit on what I've been working with. But first, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a presentation of something from last year in August 25th of 2022, I was uh, part of a Novel Uses of ABA webinar, and uh, it's something I published. It's all, I've got its own YouTube channel. I was there with Dr. Dave Feeney, who talked about uh, remote services using applied behavior analysis, applying uh, some of these services completely online. He's a big advocate for that. That was the first part of the webinar. I was up uh, to base after that, and um, that was uh, the presentation that I'm going to play for you here momentarily. So it was Novel Uses of ABA Webinar Part 4, and I'm going to link the entire webinar, if you want to check that out, on the Novel Uses of ABA uh, YouTube channel. Uh, or uh, if you just want my 45-minute uh, talk, uh, it'll be on the, the Criminal Behaviorology uh, YouTube channel. I'll put both links below. I'm going to talk about uh, this uh, idea I have using what's called discrete trial training to uh, help with competency to try, uh, stand trial restoration yeah, it's an important issue. It's gotten there's been some articles as of late. APA monitor, uh, monitor on psychology from the American Psychological Association in June of 2022. They had a whole uh, big section on uh, incompetency cases. It's become a hot topic. There's uh, been a lot to deal with of courts dealing with mental health services, and it's in part kind of an educational. Uh, mission to so people could learn how to work with their attorney, how to uh, know the players and uh, maneuvers in court. So uh, I hope to use some of the technology of ABA for competency to stand trial. It's something I'm working on right now. So just to give you a taste of it, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play this uh, presentation that I did back in August of last year. Uh, it's, uh, it has some PowerPoint slides, so it's those of you uh, on the audio podcast, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to follow along without difficulty. If you want to see it on video, I'll post the links, and without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and uh, present uh, competency to stand trial using discrete trial training. Discrete trial training uh to assist competency to stand trial restoration. Now, 
Uh, the reason, uh, you know, what am I doing here? I started out in forensic psychology. I worked at a psychiatric, uh, forensic psychiatric hospital for a number of years. And this is one of the main things that we did, and I'll get into more explanation of it later. However, I, uh, while I was there, I did realize that, uh, that this was a partly a, a, an educational and a reinforcement problem and a skill acquisition issue uh, that in order for someone to uh, be able to go to court, you need certain skills. And that's essentially what the law is saying, which I'll get into that in a little bit. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty quick, uh, pretty quick intro. But because of my time at the state hospital, I became interested in uh, applied behavior analysis. And that led me to be a BCBA and led me to be, uh, I'm in a doctoral program now. And this is a uh, part of uh, my ever growing uh, dissertation project is competency to stand trial, if I can uh, get things going. So for this, uh, for this webinar, um, understanding of competency to stand trial and how it is of importance to those with disabilities in the criminal justice system. Uh, we have, a, I'll go over the literature, we have an expanding uh, issue with this. Uh, we have a lot less of the large psychiatric, state psychiatric facilities. Uh, there's questions about how well outpatient care is covering the needs of people with uh, different psychiatric conditions, with autism. And then those people, because in part due to those lack of services, they're getting caught up in the criminal justice system and could receive what's called a competency commitment. So uh, discrete trial training, teaching, whatever you want to call it, could be of use in the CST cases. And the third objective is identify one ethical and one practical issue in using ABA techniques to assist in cases of CST. So, you know, you'll, you'll get uh, all that in uh, spades here in a second. Okay, the legal concept of trial competency presumes a sufficient present ability to consult with his or her lawyer with a reasonable degree of rational understanding and similar rationality to discern and weigh the consequences of charges against the alleged defendant. And uh, by the way, I try to reach this is from this book, uh, Behavioral Forensics. He's got some good, very much in the assessment realm. Uh, Douglas Rubin, uh, I'd love to meet with this guy. I tried to track him down, but it's a pretty good, pretty good book, Behavioral Forensics, where he talks a little bit about competency. And for a while, I would go around and, and like, uh, almost imply that I was the only one in behavior analysis that was interested in, in this area. That's not true. Uh, as, I, as I've gone to other conferences, I've seen other people that have uh, uh, worked with clients um, in this same area. So uh, very briefly, we have uh, Dusky v. United States, which was the court ruling, says the defendant understands charges against him or her and is able to assist in his or her uh, uh, in the legal defense process. Those are the two prongs. There's also what's called Drope versus Missouri a few years later, uh, about a decade or so later, that uh, basically is saying, you know, they're their threshold for raising this issue doesn't necessarily have to be very high. So the person could be 
uh, able to care for themselves, um, you know, a, do things that maybe would not get them put on another kind of psychiatric commitment. But if they're having difficulties in these areas, the issue of competency can be raised. Uh, this is a good article on it, uh, an overview of competence to stand trial, Stephen Hodge in the Indian uh, Journal of Psychiatry. Uh, the legal, it goes into the legal concept of competence to stand trial has ancient roots in some kind of mentalistic uh, thinking is where it originates from. A competent defendant is uh, a requirement of the criminal justice system because it reflects the interests related to the dignity of the process the accuracy of adjudication, uh, which is the court process, and a respect for the autonomy of the defendants. Criminal defendants are there to make decisions you know, on their own welfare. That's why this matters. Uh, in the United States, legal decisions have established the contours of the requirements related to competent participation in adjudication. Forensic psychiatrists have operationalized the requirements for assessment purposes. They have a certain list of things that they have to ask, and the defendant would then have to be able to answer. And if they don't have the skill to answer those questions, then they may remain incompetent. And it's my contention that if the person can be found competent to stand trial, whatever the situation, um, it's uh, in everyone's best interest that this does take place. So this article, a survey uh, and if you have, if uh, I'm, I'm moving a little fast, but if there's things you want to ask, uh, jump right in. Um, I see the chat, I see the chats very quickly, but you can also take yourself off mute and ask. Uh, survey of national trends in psychiatric patients found incompetent to stand trial. Reasons for the reinstitutionalization of people with serious mental illness in the United States. Reinstitutionalization. There was a deinstitutionalization, and now they're out and they're being found, uh, get in trouble, and they're found incompetent to stand trial, and they be reinstitutionalized. Uh, they end up back in the psychiatric hospital. So recent information indicates the number of forensic patients in state hospitals has been increasing, largely driven by an increase in patients referred to state hospitals and is incompetent to stand trial. The surveys indicates that most states are facing, uh, facing this issue, most of the states are facing this issue, and it's related to insufficient services in the community. Um, and this, uh, this is from 2011, uh, Pirelli, uh, Goat Diner, and uh, Zapf, uh, and I went to John Jay College, a meta-analytic review of competency to stand trial research. Uh, and there was 68 studies uh, between 1967 and 2008 that compared competent and incompetent defendants on a number of these different variables. So the most robust findings were that defendants diagnosed with a psychotic disorder were approximately eight times more likely to be found incompetent than defendants without, and the likelihood of being found competent was approximately double for unemployed defendants as a compared to those employed. The likelihood of being found incompetent was also double for defendants with a previous psychiatric hospitalization uh, compared to those without. So we're, we are talking about the chronically mentally 
uh, ill or those that have those kinds of conditions and have a record for it. Now, uh, I went on a little campaign to find people that I could find participants for study I'm going to tell you about. But it was through that, then, uh, you know, I got this, uh, somebody mailed this to me, the uh, APA monitor on psychology. And lo and behold, they've got, a, this was some June 2022, they've got a special section on incompetency cases. It's become a hot topic. Uh, so a growing number of people with serious mental illness are getting entangled in the legal system, often for minor crimes. And we did certainly see that at the hospital. Uh, psychologists are figuring out how to get them essential medical care instead. We, we had a guy that was in there uh, for stealing a uh, blanket from a Salvation Army uh, drop-off box. Uh, the, they caught him and he got caught up in a misdemeanor and was found incompetent. Uh, and we had him for over a year. He wouldn't have spent that much time uh, in anything if he'd gotten convicted of that. Uh, one guy was a case of mistaken identity. Uh, the police saw him. When he sees the police, he gets running. They chased after him, uh, and he's arrested for resisting arrest and found incompetent and, uh, you know, ends up in the hospital. So it's pre it becomes pretty important stuff, and he was one of the people that was diff difficult to help restore to competency due to communication, uh, cognitive abilities, things like that. Uh, so for this one, uh, it's got a set of articles on the uh, nationwide uh, problem, uh, and they explore some of the alternatives to the current system because it is becoming such a pressing issue. Uh, and uh, I've seen a lot of this, the very things that they talk about, about the lack of services, about the increasing use of the psychiatric uh, system to deal with criminal defendants. And they, there's a whole series of other articles that are in there. It was really, uh, it was quite a uh, hitting pay dirt uh, when I came across that uh, monitor on psychology. So there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a few more things on that. And uh, I just saw that. Yeah, Kim, I, um, yeah, it's in North Dakota. I did speak about it there um, for those of you that remember that. And uh, yeah, I know it's become an issue there. Uh, they got a small section where they get a good little concise uh, description of uh, competency to stand trial. Uh, and, and it's usually going to be the public defender that will raise it. Other, other court players will raise the issue of competency when they feel the need to uh, and make the distinction. Insanity is not competency. Insanity is uh, your state, much more sticky issue, I think. Um, refers to the defendant's state of mind at the time of the crime. Well, we're dealing with them at as of right now, if the trial were to take place right now. Okay, so I've got a proposed, uh, I've got a proposed little study here that uh, I'm going to go over with you that I've made some progress on, and I hope uh, it's just a, it's just a sampling of what could be, because I think this issue could be huge, and that's why I wanted to have this meeting with all of you. Uh, we're dealing with three different elements, two verbal operants and a matching task. And I hope that those of you that are practicing behavior analysts or psychologists or whatever you like to call yourselves, behaviorists, uh, this is the same kind of techniques that you're very familiar with applied to an area where it's not commonly applied. I'm going to use a multiple 
uh, baseline design, multiple baseline across behaviors. The behaviors are these three elements, okay, of uh, matching, tacting, and the intraverbal skills. And it's going to be on the courtroom terms. So the reason I believe it's relevant is uh, the, the defendant's clients will be found incompetent. They may not know the terminology. They may not be able to express themselves sufficiently well in a psychiatric interview or to their attorney in the process. And this is helping them develop those skills. Discrete trial training, I think there's some familiarity with this, uh, a given opportunity to give a response. So we have some examples, uh, flashcards, answering a prompted question, uh, pointing to a sample color or shape, uh, cutting up uh, uh, veg instruction to cut up vegetables, cut up or identifying vegetables, tacting them. In this, in this study, these same kinds of discrete trial techniques are used to learn terms relevant to the court. Okay. So it ends up being a session. Uh, this can vary quite about, about 10, 15 minutes for each uh, participant. Uh, and we go through these different areas. Uh, it vary, it's usually about seven items. I've got them divided up. Uh, into a data sheet by a set. So at a session, it'll be seven tacting items, about seven intraverbal questions, about seven matching concepts. Uh, so the baseline, we'll just go through them and uh, inquire on the elements. Match this, you know, tack this, answer about this. So the intervention, we're going to use some techniques of errorless learning and prompting hierarchy as as needed. Where are we at? Okay, I think we're doing okay. So here they are, the 20 courtroom terms that I'm that I'm working on. You'll notice the ones with the little little stars. Excuse me. Um, these are ones where they are uh, only intraverbal. Uh, so they're gonna. They're, we don't have a visual representation, as in matching and tacting. So these kinds of concepts, alibi, felony. Uh, you know, the misdemeanor sentence and verdict uh, are only talked about. The others have a, a visual stimuli, which we'll show you here in a little bit. I don't have, uh, I, I have defense attorney. I don't have public defender. Um, those kinds of concepts um, uh, I don't have. Now, uh, as far as why I chose these, uh, these were the same terms, uh, you know, we kind of do what we're used to. These are the same terms that um, we would use in our testing um, for uh, uh, incompetent defendants when we're in the hospital. A little bit of variation on them. Um, and these are kind of the things that a, uh, I, I'm predicting that um, uh, a defendant would need to know. Uh, to minimally, minimally work with his attorney. Um, and we go through a process of how they can identify them. So, um, but it's a good question of what, what terms to specifically use. They're commonly used by psychiatrists and judges in competency evaluation. So here we have a little matching task. So we'll have, uh, you know, this guy, a judge up here. This is to represent the prosecutor, this is to represent a witness. 
uh, uh, as a matching exercise, we can ask which of the above three cards um, matches this card. Uh, the participant will have an opportunity to answer to match. Uh, if correct, we will move on. If the answer is answered incorrectly, then a hierarchy of prompting will be implemented after shuffling the top three cards. So I've shuffled them now. The top three cards with the prosecutor on the left, the witness in the center, and the matching judge at the right. The card to be matched is now in the closest proximity to its twin. The judge card, and this is, this is the prompting after he's gotten it incorrect. The judge card is prompted by moving the object closest to the card to be matched. Match is once again the instruction given. Gestural physical prompts uh, are subsequent options used uh, using a hierarchy. Okay. Dave? Dave? Uh, Tim, we've got a question, and do you want to do a code exercise right now? Oh, I'm coming up on my... Uh, okay, we got a question in the chat from Emma Dugan. Why did you choose these terms specifically? Yeah, uh, those terms, uh, they, they were the same ones that uh, we would train. Uh, we would have testing on this um, and uh, like a legal education class. So it's not, uh, I haven't, uh, you know, it would be a good thing to research which words are the deficits, but it's a, it's kind of a legacy to the past of picking up right where we left off when we do uh, what we called legal education classes there in the hospital. There uh, it was a slight adjustment, but uh, and, and we found like some people uh, would use some of the terms, but uh, needed help, like instead of the cop in the courtroom, it was the bailiff and things like that. So it's a, it's a, it's habit um, in part. Okay. So, uh, any more questions up to this point? So I also do competency restoration with clients. Um, do you think that those words that you use could be changed to ones that they are exposed to more, like in my courtroom, for instance? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the, the uh, ability to vary and to be versatile is certainly there. So, you know, uh, as long as, uh, and it could be, you know, training for their attorney that they would say, uh, you know, um, you know, the, the typist is the court reporter or, um, you know, uh, the guy on your team is the defense attorney. Um, so right now you are, we're starting out with some difficult terminology but certainly uh, that kind of uh, adjustment and maybe that kind of shaping um, could be a part of the program. Uh, I'm open to it. Okay. Tim, I... Uh-huh. Go ahead. This is Maria. I have a question. So when you, when you do your training, you said that you have... Um, I'm trying to find... I, I took a screenshot of yours... Mm -hmm. that you have um, like seven, seven tacting items and then seven interverbal, then seven matching concepts. Right. Um, do you, you're aware of the competency restoration modules, right? Uh, yeah, the, with some of them, that there's different ones, but. Okay, uh... because 
um, after I had spoke with you at that conference and I made a bunch of the visuals and things like that and the individual I was taken through on this did very well on the matching, but a lot of the the terms mm -hmm. there's you can't find a picture for them and that's where I just saw the individual just shut down. It was too much for them. And then I start seeing a lot of skate maintained behavior. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost wondering now, I, I'm, I failed them. I, you know, maybe I should have mixed up the matching with just a few of those each time so that, you know, kind of like the high P, you know, he was successful with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for those seven, Kind of abstract terms uh, that uh, I where I'm thinking that we could go on this um, if I'm responding uh, effectively. Uh, well, with the ones that are not uh, those abstract terms like alibi, felony, then you have a visual match, and then you could present once they've gotten good at matching and tacting, then you could ask the question and then present the visual stimuli. Uh, for things like alibi, uh, felony, verdict, uh, we may have to work on some concept analysis. And that's where, you know, uh, okay, a verdict, a verdict is a decision. It's a decision at the end of the trial. It's a decision made by whom? Judge of the jury, you know. Um, sentence is a decision after the trial. Uh, who's it made by? Uh, Will go. Ahead. I mean that there where it gets complicated. We can say you know it's a decision made by the judge. A plea is a decision. It's a, when is it made? It's made before the trial. Who's it made by? It's made by the defendant. So we uh, I think some of the kind of the Markle type concept analysis might be in order for some of the more sophisticated could be sophisticated kind of terms. And I am going to get into. Uh, more of that of what I'm finding when I'm when I'm running through these cards um, with the people that I'm working with now. So is that? Uh, I hope that's a sufficient answer uh, for the time being. Yes. Yes. Thank okay. you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and this is an example. It's like what we were just talking about. So the intraverbal uh, verdict. The two-sided flashcards will have the term on one side and the definition uh, on the opposite side, sided. you may present definition side and ask the uh, participant to identify the then correct term. So your basic flashcards. And this is kind of a, a of the basic study um, using a, a visual representation of it, the tacting, the matching, we do the baseline, we do the intervention. Um, was not able to do uh, generalization initially, but we'll have a generalization probe uh, toward the end. And there I'll have like videos of like the, the old Perry Mason show, video clips. And you can just have someone like somebody will walk in and say, who's the guy that just walked in? That's the bailiff. They'll have a conversation. Who's the guy that spoke last? That was the judge. And that'll be a set of generalization probes uh, once we've gone through uh, tacting and matching. Uh, the uh, Slater method, yeah, is talked about um, in, in one of those previous articles, yeah. Uh, we have used also what we call the, the CAST-MR 
um, as an assessment, which is similar similar principles. Uh, so here, here we have a, um, a matching set, portion of the matching set um, data sheet um, that uh, we would go ahead and um, go ahead and put uh, our data on uh, probe section and then uh, we can go as far as we need to. But if we just went five and we got 80%, so, you know, for pluses, plus, 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 then we can go ahead and say, that uh, they're getting at 80% in the study. So, uh, where I'm at now, and I'm glad I got enough of time, I'm going to stop sharing, and uh, I'm going to travel for a little bit. Uh, and so bear with me, and if you have, be able, well, we're going through the darkness, so you can't see how messy the house is for now. We'll go down here. And have a uh, a little demonstration. I'll see if I have to remove. See if I have to remove. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on in case there's. How well can you see these um, these images here? The cards that are on the table. Can they be seen? Go ahead and just. Uh, just you can take yourself off mute and say that they're being seen or not seen. They are being seen. I okay. see them. Okay. I can't read them. I can see them. Yeah, you won't be able to need to read them. Gene is going to help me out with uh, with uh, a little demonstration here. So, and I'm glad that my uh, uh, leash here reaches all the way to the computer. So okay, so we'll be here. We've we've shuffled the cards about. <coughs> Um, and I'm going to go ahead and present a card match. Okay, so she's actually gone to the subpoena card. I wouldn't say that right there or there, but I'm going to, let's, uh, you know, do some reshuffling. And I'll positional prompt the matching card closer to her and hopefully make it a little easier. Match. Pick them up. Judge, you got it. You got the judge. So I've done a, a little bit of correcting there um, to make it a little bit easier. Now... If I have one of the court reporter, I could say tact. I don't know if you can hear, but what's this? Court reporter. Court reporter, you're absolutely right. So she's uh, successfully tacted. That was a little the court reporter. Then if I have an introverbal, I'd say a person who answers questions about what they know in a criminal case. Okay, well, the defendant uh, is going to be the person that's in trouble. Uh, if somebody is up there speaking about what they know in a criminal case, that's going to be what we call a witness. 
So who, who's the person who answers questions about uh, what they know in a criminal case? A witness. Uh, a witness. That's a, and I think that will be a common answer because some of them have elements. That's the concept analysis. It's the witness. Great job. And, and now I'm going to give you your table back, too. So, you know, it's like, I appreciate you can open that back up here. Okay, so that was a, thank you. That was a little demonstration of uh, what we had and the kind of thing that I'm doing right now. Now, I'm going to get into a little bit about what it was to put this kind of study together and where I'm at now, and that's going to require me to share uh, once again. And here we're right back where we left off. Uh, do you have any questions at this point? Do you use this for individuals just with like developmental disabilities, or are you also using this for like SMI clients? Well, um, where I'm at right now um, is uh, I went to, uh, I'm just going to get into that because my original plan for the study was to go to the same uh, state hospital with actual uh, defendants who uh, were already found incompetent to stand trial. Uh, went there, uh, had several meetings. It was approved by the IRB. And uh, then uh, because of uh, another wave of COVID, they had severe staff shortages. And uh, they wrote, the medical director wrote back and said, nope, um, we can't do it. Um, we've just, uh, we're, we have National Guard's been called out and uh, we just don't have the staffing to permit something like this. So I went to another state hospital uh, much farther south and uh, I was uh, ultimately told the same thing. Well, um, then finally uh, at a place that remains uh, going to remain undisclosed, I got uh, approval at uh, a center uh, treatment for autism. Uh, and the couple clients that they've got for me, uh, I think, were uh, ideal. And uh, the only way we could do it is, uh, well, this is very uh, Dave Feeney-esque, but um, over uh, Zoom meetings. So it was remotely done. So this can be remotely done. And, uh, the, and it, it has been kind of slow progress. But, uh, and we got into the baseline data. The one, the one client is just soared through it. He loved it. Uh, he could be his own attorney, uh, as far as I'm concerned. The other, um, he was uh, able to do uh, matching, worked out well. Tacting, having some trouble, and then a lot of trouble in the intraverbal uh, realm is where we're at uh, with that particular in the baseline part. And then we, we have the potential to get more uh, clients from there. But fortunately, uh, at the autism center, um, uh, it, that that's where we've been able to have some success, but uh, I see it uh, applicable um, regardless of diagnosis. There's a lot of of uh, clientele that would be suitable for an intervention like this. Um, and uh, ethical issues for using ABA. 
uh, in these cases. And I'm also I'm perfectly willing to hear out um, from the audience uh, if you think there's more to this, and I think that there probably is, um, because we are kind of stepping into uh, an ethical area maybe that we had not been in before, a, a setting that we're not commonly in. Uh, are, I sometimes get asked, are they really competent? Um, so you go in and you help them understand the terms and they can communicate. Uh, and the idea being, well, uh, can they really work with their attorney? And I would say if it was just a matter of uh, learning the terms or even being able to demonstrate the concepts, that isn't necessarily all there is to being competent. They could be, they could be well-versed in these areas um, and still be incompetent for other reasons. So, for example, if you have a psychotic delusion that uh, the judge uh, framed the whole case against you, you know, uh, and that's not really the case, um, uh, that would be uh, that would be an example of uh, you know uh, someone still being incompetent, even though they're able to learn the skills. However, if it's a matter of um, that that question to me is almost um, along the lines of uh, you work with uh, children or adults to learn terms. Well, have they really learned it, or have you just trained them? Uh, you know, competent is competent. So they will. It will not be a simply a matter of uh, being able to learn the terms. They have, still have to go before a psychiatrist at the hospital, and uh, or possibly a psychologist. However, uh, and, and be reviewed. However, what we would be able to do um, uh, with behavior analytic work is to show progress so that they were not able to uh, uh, understand, uh, they could only understand uh, three of the 20 terms. Now they can attack, they can tact 19 of the 20 terms. Um, they did not know any of the intraverbal term successfully. Now they know uh, 50% of the intraverbal terms, which could be a very useful instrument to show in their case to like present to a, a judge or a, um, a psychiatrist. We would not be there opining them as competent. We would be there to help show progress um, and behavioral uh, skill development. Uh, and that goes to the idea like, should we? Um, should we be involved in cases like this and uh, it has to do, I think, that this question is, uh, you know, is it really in their best uh, interest? Well, um, unfortunately, the grip of the criminal justice system, um, it can go all kinds of ways. And it, that varies quite a bit by jurisdiction, how these different states handle these cases. Some are prone to simply drop the charges, which to me is logical, uh, legally, if they have not been found competent. Uh, in the state of Indiana, they, uh, they kind of get around that by just going ahead and putting them on a regular commitment under the kind of the idea that, well, they would have been, they should, if they're this incompetent, they should have been on a commitment anyway. And they can usually find something about their skill level or dangerousness to themselves or something like that. Um, however, I, I, I fear it could end up being a, a long-term process. Uh, regardless of what the crime is. And if the crime is serious, then it, it's kind of turned into using 
the uh, psychiatric system and the competency commitments as a means of incarcerating people instead of going through the process where they actually are in court and have their day in court. Um, so uh, where I'm at with it now is for these kinds of cases, I haven't seen one where we shouldn't proceed with it if we can help. Uh, should we touch the criminal justice system with a 29 and a half foot pole? In other words, uh, our involvement in this um, are really being helpful. And, and I would say, you know, carefully we'll approach it um, in the ways that we can help and show uh, data to show imp skill improvement or behavioral improvement where we can. Um, this is not something to cure uh, all the ills with the criminal justice system. Uh, I wish something could do that. But there's a lot of literature, um, not just for competency, for juvenile justice over the many years, um, and things that were put in place of contingency management programs that have been helpful, uh, at least shown by, by uh, what's been written over many years, but for different reasons. Um, economic reasons and political and just changes in the times, these things aren't implemented anymore. However, I just got, it was just last year, I got called from uh, um, a place in Illinois that they were looking for uh, hiring BCBAs for their, uh, in six different counties for their um, juvenile justice program, which I think is ideal. Uh, so I think we can be of great benefit. Um, to the criminal justice system um, when we're using the techniques that we're good at and uh, we're making a strong case for what we want to do and why we want to do it. Um, anybody else have questions about uh, ethical? I ran through that quickly, but ethical issues using ABA in these kind of cases. It legit, I mean, I'm whatever you want to ask is fine. Uh, Dave, Jim, I um, I know nothing about this at all. It's really fascinating. Um, is there any um, uh, is there any are there any contingencies to motivate um, people to feign or pretend to be incompetent? Yes. Uh, most certainly there are. And, and that's a big, uh, that's ever present on people's mind is uh, when they, in a psychiatric facility, they say malingering. Of course, yeah. And, but like many people, I've seen, you know, classic films like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where, you know, that, that's about malingering um, and pretending to be a psych, uh, pretending to be incompetent. If, if a system like yours encountered someone malingering, to be incompetent, how would how might you detect that, or would you, or is that not even relevant? Uh, that's a there. There's actually they've even developed full psychological tests uh, on this, or portions of other well-known tests. Uh, I'll tell you in a, in a second what I think is most of the time uh, the remedy. But however, uh, if you see in the data like uh, unusual patterns of um, of acquisition, like they acquire it at one point and then don't at another. I think that could be useful data uh, in something, or they acquire certain skills um, 
uh, rapidly, like the intraverbal skills and not the matching. That could be useful data. Um, but from what I've seen, or at least the malingering cases that we knew what we could detect, uh, if they hung around with uh, really mentally ill people after a while, they just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, you know, they, they put on their act, which, which to me was usually just obvious malingering. Um, but when they got around the real thing, uh, you know, they were ready to give it up. Um, just, uh, 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 except like in a few extreme cases where they're really, you know, they're, they're really in a lot of trouble and they're really motivated to, to get out of it. So I don't think we'll ever overcome the problem of malingering, but I do think, uh, now that you mentioned that, I think I do think the data that we collect could be, I can see several ways it could be useful in that scenario. Okay. What are the routes of entry into doing this kind of work? Um, I'm going to just put these up here since you asked that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I, like I said, I mean, when I was out in North Dakota, I met some people there on here right now that uh they've been involved in this um and there's some uh that are you know that misdemeanor cases that are in the community um and they're not all inpatient work so um for me my route was uh to work for the forensic psychiatric hospital um uh, others maybe and we did it is possible a behavior analyst could consult at a facility like that um i don't know of uh I don't know of states that are asking for behavior analysts as those are practitioners, BCBAs or other things to help with competency cases. However, um, uh, there's certainly a need for them, uh, in my view, uh, at the large psychiatric facilities. So, um, and they are consulted there, like I said. So I think there's several avenues to it. Um, so I ask, you know, uh, how can they become, how can we become behavior analysts become involved in CST? Um, you know, I'm trying to make that happen with it when we've got more research, when we've got more involvement that shows we can be useful. It's just like everything else, like in the school system, in the health professions, um, in OBM and business, once we show we can help, uh, then they might uh, they might be seeking us out if they knew we existed. So, um, but uh, most of the psychiatric care that I've seen and that I've read about is still very medical model. Um, it's very much go to a doctor, find a medical treatment. They're not thinking of it in turn. Even even psychiatric uh, non forensic psychiatric cases, they're thinking of treating it, treating the disease. They're not thinking of uh, behavioral improvement, skill acquisition, you know, SDs that can be implemented. Um, and if we have more uh, more uh, research and development, I hope we can get that changed. And that goes to like the second part of that best way to communicate these concepts um, to those who are professionals in the criminal justice fields. Um, I think the better research, the better involvement, the better position we'll be in. I'm going to stop sharing. Oh, we're almost out of time. If you got any more questions, send them our way. Otherwise, that's all, folks. Good night, everyone. Good night.
Good night. Bye, -bye folks. Thanks. Right, thank you. Likewise. Good night. This has been Criminal Behaviorology. Check us out on podomatic.com or anchor.fm. Please send questions, comments, and requests for transcripts to criminalbehaviorology at gmail.com.